Amen. What a blessing. What a blessing. What a blessing. Take your Bibles and turn them to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to speak this morning on the subject, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Let's look at our scripture first. These are some powerful, powerful words that, um, that talks about the future. And when you read verses like this, you, you think way into the future, but we must be reminded that this can become reality even before we finish this service today. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or whether bad. The best is yet to come. There was a couple one day who went out to eat, and as they were eating their meal, it was a fine coarse meal, and they were enjoying every bit of that. And when the waitress came by to take the plate, the man's fork was on the plate. And he told the man, he said, I need you to keep your fork. And the man said, wow, there's something else that is coming. He said, yes, I need you to keep your fork. The best is yet to come. So he gave the plate away, and a few minutes later, this waitress brought back this juicy strawberry pie, the kind where the juicy strawberry foam, I mean, not the foam, but the gel just oozes out to the side. I mean, no, you're not going to have any of that here in just a few minutes but at, at spaghetti, but we can probably arrange that. It just depends. But as he ate that, he was amazed and really understood what the waitress said when she said, the best is yet to come. In fact, this man kept this slogan for the rest of his life, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. Keep your fork, the best is yet to come. In this scripture this morning, I want us to think about the best is yet to come. Because as believers today, the best is yet to come. You may be enjoying your life now, and I hope and I pray that you are. But the best has not occurred, and the best is yet to come. Even though there is joy in this life, we are still living in a sin-filled world. Our bodies, we learned last week, our physical bodies are decaying. They are deteriorating. We are in a sin-stained world. Our best is yet 
to come. And that's when we see our Lord face to face. Paul knew that. And that's why he writes this text to us this morning. It says in verse 1, For we know, that's the way he starts off this text. It's not a, a, a hope so, or he said, let me tell you my opinion, or let me tell you my thought. He said, no, we know, based on the promises of God, that the best is yet to come. In fact, he says in Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We know based on the promises of God. Now look at the next part. If our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, that is eternal in the heavens. He compares two different things, a, a tent and a building. He says if our earthly tent is destroyed. He compares his body to that of a tent. Now Paul knew all about tents. Paul was a tent maker by trade. A, temper, a tent is something that is temporal, something that is vulnerable, something that's there just for a short period of time. And Paul says this body, this body that is, that is temporal, that is decaying, it is a tent. If this tent is destroyed, Paul says, if I die, if my body dies, this tent, the scripture says we have a building from God. Not a tent, but a building. A building represents something that is permanent, something that is stable, something that is not temporal, but that which is eternal. Paul knew that this life now was temporal. But the life to come, the best is yet to come. His life in heaven is eternal. That's why when you give your life to Christ, He gives you eternal life, everlasting life. The best is yet to come. The Bible says in Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. So not just the tent, our temporal body, but our building, which is soon coming. Now, I, don't, I want go back up to verse 1. Because there's one little word, it's only two letters, but it's, it gives us a little bit about understanding some of Paul's theology. Paul says in verse 1, we know that if our earthly body is destroyed, I believe Paul knew two things. Number one, he may die. That may be a reality. But number two, he says, if our earthly body is destroyed, Paul believed in the imminent return of Jesus. Paul believed that Jesus could possibly even come back to earth and take the church home before he were to face death. That's why Paul says, if our body is destroyed, then we have our, our, our tent is destroyed. We have a building made from God, not made with hands, which means it's not part of this creation. It is made outside of this creation. It is made with the Lord Himself, not made with with with. Uh, impure hands but that which is not of this creation so Paul believed that Jesus could come back at any moment that's why today you better believe that Jesus could come back before I finish this message 
Jesus could come back before you ever lay your head down again. Jesus could come back and take the church home and you'll never have another opportunity to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There is an imminent return of Jesus and Paul believed that. He says, if I face death, then I know the best is yet to come, but Jesus may come first and we may not face death. And we may go home to be with the Lord forever and ever. Regardless of the case, the best is yet to come. So because of that thinking, there's three things about heaven that that he says in verses 2 through 10 that I want to point out. The first one is this, is our anticipation of heaven. Are you ready to go to heaven? Would you be okay if you went to heaven today? Nobody, okay? I'm ready. I mean, I, I can go today if that's okay. Our anticipation of, as a Christian, as a believer, the most important thing that excites you today is the anticipation that one day you're going to heaven. And that one day you're going to see Jesus, your Savior, who stretched out his arms and died for you, see him face to face, and to be with him forever and ever. Look at verse 2. For in this... In this reality that we have a building from God that is soon coming, not a tent. In this, Paul says, we groan. The word groan there, it doesn't mean that he is in despair or in agony or, 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 or mournful dejection, but it is a hopeful longing. It's the same word for the word sigh. Whew, I'm ready to go to heaven. I mean, I'm just ready to leave this world, this sin, this, 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 this illness, all these things that are, the, the sufferings that are in this world. I am anticipating seeing Jesus face to face. I can't wait to go. And I groan eagerly, long to go to be with Jesus. He says, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Paul believed that when we die, this tent, and we learned this last week, goes into the grave. This body goes into the grave and our spirit goes into heaven. But Paul says there's a resurrection where we will have a brand new glorified resurrected body. Paul says I am groaning to be clothed with that which is from heaven where there's no scars, where there's no contacts, where there's no glasses, where there's no cancer, where there's no walking canes, where there's no uh, wheelchairs, nothing of that which will be in heaven. He says I am groaning and I'm anticipating the day where I will be absolutely perfect in the presence of the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. We anticipate the best. It is yet to come. Paul was weary of frustrations, of disappointments, of limitations, of weaknesses, and the sins in this present life, and he longed to go to heaven. In this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. He says, verse 3, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up in life. Now you have to kind of understand the context that Paul is writing to Greeks and to Romans. And as these, these individuals are reading this, there was a false, um, false uh, uh, teaching going on during the days of the church of Corinth called dualism. It meant that your body was evil, that it was morally evil, and that your spirit was good. 
And when you die, that which is evil goes into the grave, and that which is good, your spirit just goes kind of out into the world. And Paul says that's not true. Part of it is, but it's not fully true, because when your body goes into the grave, your spirit will be resurrected. There will be a resurrection that will be joining your spirit when you go to heaven at the, at the resurrection, not just for a spirit, but for a resurrected, glorified body, just like Jesus had when he rose from the dead and he walked on this earth for 40 days. That's the body that we shall teach. That's why he says in verse 3, if having been clothed, we should not be found naked. There will be a body, a glorified body around our spirit. We're not just floating up in heaven on angel wings playing harps. No, we have a resurrected body that we are bowing at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him forever and ever. That is the anticipation of heaven. Verse 5 says, now he who has prepared for us this very thing is God. He also has given us his spirit as a guarantee. Brother John, how do you know that you are going to heaven when you die? How do you know? That you're going to heaven when you die. Because the Bible says when you gave your life to Christ, He gave you His Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God. You are sealed until the day of redemption. And because you know that their best is yet to come, is because God has given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The word there is as a down payment. He's saying this, hey, one day you're going to see me face to face and you can base this on the promise that I will give you my Spirit in your life while you walk on this earth and when you die, you will be resurrected into heaven and see Jesus face to face and walk around all of glory. That is true. Because of the spirit Christ is giving inside of us. Verse 5 teaches so many things and we don't have time to go through all of it. But verse 5 is plain as day that teaches the eternal security of the believer in Christ. That when you give your life to Christ, you are saved. From the day you get saved all the way until you see Jesus face to face, you are saved. Because the Holy Spirit is that guarantee. It is that down payment from heaven that you receive when you gave your life to Christ. That is our anticipation that is in heaven. The whole the hymn writer says it something like this. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face what will it be? When with rapture I behold Him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Face to face I shall behold Him. Far beyond the starry sky, face to face in all of his glory, I shall see him by and by. I love the third verse. What rejoicing in his presence when all, excuse me, when our banished grief and pain, death is swallowed up in victory and the dark things shall be plain. Face to face, I shall behold him. Far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all of his glory, I shall see him by and by. The best is yet to come. Are you ready to go to heaven? Would you be okay if God took you home today? Say, Brother John, what about my family? What about my business? What about my work? What about my church? What about this and what about that? All those things are going to be okay. Your love for Jesus is greater than your love for anybody in this room. And God's going to take care of everybody else that's here. You anticipate and you be ready today to go be with Jesus. If Jesus, number one, was to call the church away, or if Jesus were to call you home today, you anticipate the glory of heaven. And he's given you that 
Holy Spirit as a guarantee that one day he's coming to take you home. I hope you're ready. The anticipation of heaven. But there's a second thing verse 6 teaches us. Not only the anticipation of heaven, but our determination of heaven. Our determination of heaven. Paul says in verse 6, we are always confident. The word confident means to be courageous. It means to be bold, to be determined. We are always determined. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, which means we're alive on this earth, that we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident. There's the word again, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now there's a lot of, uh, uh, you, can be, you can get confused by reading these verses, but Paul is saying something like this. While we're here on this earth in the body, that we're absent from the Lord. Now, we understand that when you pray, you're in the presence of the Lord. When you read God's word, that he is speaking, this is the word of life. This is the logos. This is God's love letter to us that we are in the presence of God. When the choir sings or individuals sing or congregations sing, that we are in the presence of Almighty God. and We are worshiping him and you can feel the presence of, all, of, of the Holy Spirit of God as we worship and as we sing. And as you read God's word, as you share your faith, as you're living those things. You, you understand all of that, but you can't see Jesus face to face. He says we walk by faith and not by sight. In this life, there's a separation even though we have the Holy Spirit, even though we have the Bible, even though we are part of a New Testament church, it's not the same as being around the throne of God in a perfect place, worshiping our Savior Jesus. He says, whether we're at home, we are absent from the Lord. But he says, we're confident, we are determined, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul's saying, hey, if you want my opinion, I don't want to be here. I'd rather be in heaven. I'm tired of getting beaten up. I'm tired of getting dragged through streets. I'm tired of people not believing. I'm tired of people killing. I'm tired of all this. I'd rather be with Jesus. And that's what I'm here for. And I know one day He's going to take me home. And not a minute sooner. But until then, I'm going to preach the Word. Until then, I'm going to share Christ with everybody. Until then, we're going to plant churches all over Europe and Asia. Until that time, we're going to do what God's called us to do. But you want my opinion? I don't want to be here. I want to be in heaven. Isn't that what you want to do? Yeah. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about when your kids wake up in the night and you have to get, get up in the 12 o'clock at night and you're tripping on everything and you've all stubbed your toe 15 times? I just really don't want to be here. God, can you just take us home today? All of us? And let's just go to heaven. When you go to funerals, Lord, I really don't want to be here. Can I go where, where my friend just went? Or when you get Doctor's reports. Lord, I really don't want to be here. Can you just go ahead and take me home? When the world's chaotic, when politics just lose every ounce of stress that you have or every ounce of fiber in your body, God, can you just take the church home and let the world deal with itself? I mean, they say we're the problem anyway, so take us out and let's see what, let's see what they can do now. <laughs> can you just take us home? Paul says, I'd rather be absent from this old body 
decaying and, 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 and deteriorating and, and visiting jail after jail. God, I would just rather go home and be with you because I know if I'm absent from the body that I'm going to be present with you. That is the determination. There is a determination in the life of every believer to go home and to be with Jesus. But then there's a third thing in verse 9 and 10. It's not only our anticipation of heaven, not just our determination of heaven, but our expectation in heaven. What does heaven expect in us who is not there? Now, we will be one day. But what does heaven expect of us today? If the Lord tarries today and we come back tonight and tomorrow and Tuesday and and, and we, we, we live out our whatever your life, whatever areas of life you will be this week. If our life, what does heaven expect of us? Verse 9, therefore, because we're going to heaven, there's a determination, there's an anticipation. Therefore, we, Paul says we, those of us who are still here, we make it our aim. The word aim right there comes from two words, the word for love and the word for honor. Your translation may have the word ambition. That's really the the, the correct translation. A, A noble ambition. We make it our daily desire, our aim, like you're you're aiming a, a, a bow and arrow, our aim, whether present or absent. In other words, whether we're here on this earth or whether we're not, to be well pleasing to Him, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You will face judgment. And I want you to understand, if you're following along in your outline, you'll see uh, a couple of things here. We talked about the word aim. It means noble ambition, a passion for what is excellent, for that which is honorable. It says here, we must appear, verse 10, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word appear means to make manifest. It doesn't mean that you're just going to say, all right, Lord, here I am. I wish I could have got here sooner, Lord, but you didn't call me home. That's not what he's saying. The word appear means that you will appear individually and everything will be laid bare. It means that you will not come hiding anything. It means that there will be nothing that will be covered. It will all appear. Not only will you be there at the judgment seat of Christ, but everything about you will be there. Now let me look at the next phrase right here, the judgment seat of Christ. What is the judgment seat of Christ and who will be there? Paul is talking to, if you go back up to verse 10, we must appear, he's talking to Christians. Christians and non-Christians will both be judged, but they will be judged at two different times. There are two different types of judgments. The text says right here in verse number 10, the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. If you know Jesus as your Savior, this is the judgment that you will be at. This is the judgment that I will be at. The other judgment is the judgment that Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15 talks about, the great white throne judgment. That is to judge people who do not have a relationship with him. That's at that judgment where he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. So this judgment, although it's an individual, 
And you will appear for everything that you've ever done. It's, this, is, this is the judgment for those who are saved. Those who are believers. Those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So three things about this judgment. You know soon you will face Jesus and you will be judged. Because of that, this text teaches three things. Number one, back up in verse 9, whether we're present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. I know one day I will stand before Jesus. So because of that reality, today I want to be well-pleasing to Him. I want to, if you go, in, in your outline, in, in that, that first line, fully pleasing. I want to fully Please, Christ, the same word is used in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's the word well-pleasing. Man, I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus, I want, I, I, I want to be well to not just when I see him face to face, but today. There's only one person I desire to please in this life, and that's my Savior, Jesus. We love Him more than anything else in this world. He died for us, and He rose again. So we desire to live our life fully pleasing Him. What, to be well-pleasing to Him. The second one, not only fully pleasing, but fully devoted. The Scripture says we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing, the phrase there, present or absent, means fully devoted. Paul was staring death right in the face. And how many times on our dying day we begin to blame God. And we say, God, why in the world is this happening to me? Don't you know who I am? God, I've been faithful here, I've been faithful there. Paul could have said all of that. Paul was staring death right in the face, yet he was fully devoted until his last day on this earth. Paul says, whether I'm here or whether I'm not, you can put me in a jail, you can tie me to a prisoner, I'll share Christ with them. It doesn't matter whether I'm here or not, I will be fully devoted to you. And then he says in the last part of verse 10 that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ that each one, individual, may receive the things done in the body. That we may receive the things done in this life. That's in the body. According to what he has done, whether it is good or whether it is bad. Now the big difference among many differences between this judgment and the great white throne judgment that will take place right before the, the false prophet and Antichrist all were thrown into the lake of fire is that this type of judgment is not for your sins. When you give your life to Christ and you ask forgiveness for your sins... Jesus remembers them no more. He has forgiven you. He has washed you as white as snow. He has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. And He has put in your life the righteousness of God. So that when you stand before Him, He will not bring up everything in the past that has already been forgiven. That's what the word forgiveness means. A promise never to be brought up again. But you will stand before the Lord. And you will be judged for the things that you do in this body, whether they are good or whether they are bad. Now, the word bad is not really a good translation. The actual word bad here is not the common New Testament word for that which is bad or evil. This word in the New Testament is the word worthless. We will be judged 
for the things we do in this life, whether they are good or worthless. Now it's understood that as a believer, that we're not out living a life living like a heathen and living like a sinner. Now there are times where we sin. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, He's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when we stand before the Lord, there are going to be things in our life, maybe you've been 30 years. And as you stand before the Lord, he's going to judge your work for the last 30 years. Whether your work is good or bad. Whether your work was good to the glory and honor of God, or whether your work was worthless. He's going to judge you as a husband. Whether you live your life as a husband to that which is good or that which is worthless. Did you lead your family to bring honor and glory to God? Did you use your family as a testimony of what Christ has done for you? As a spouse, as a child, as a youth, as a teenager. Your, your activity in God's house. All the things that you do after you get saved. If they are good, which means they, 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 they have brought honor and glory to God. If they're bad, they're worthless and they're useless and they are of no value value when you stand before Jesus. Why do we have to do good things here on this earth? Brother John, do you believe in a works-based salvation? I sure do. But it's got to be on the right side of your salvation. You get saved by the blood of Christ not by anything you can do, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but when we get saved he puts inside of us His Holy Spirit and a desire to walk with Christ and to do good works. That's why the Bible says in the book of Philippians that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for salvation, but we work out what Christ has put inside of us so that we can follow Christ and do good things, not for salvation, but to prove that we are saved, knowing one day we're going to stand before Jesus, the best is yet to come, when He looks upon us and say, well done a good and faithful servant, and he places in our laps crowns, victor's crowns. And Revelation 4 talks about how we will lay them at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those crowns are because of the good works we've done here on this earth, and we will place them at his feet. The best is yet to come. This man that I was telling you about in the beginning of the story, walked around his whole life telling everybody, hey, keep your fort. The best is yet to come. Keep your fort. He would go to restaurants and say, keep your fort. Best is yet to come. He'd have people over at his house and they'd say, keep your fort. The best is yet to come. And he was known for this statement, the best is yet to come. And then one day he died. Some of you have heard the story. When he died, he sat there in that coffin. He wasn't moving. But his wife took a white plastic fort. And as most cases, a deceased body, their hands are something like this. And he had a white plastic fork sitting right there. And you know when you walk through caskets, there's all types of things. There's jewelry. There may be a Bible. There may be something special that, that the man would like to be buried in. Uh, something uh, memorable. And as people walked by and they saw that man with the white fork. They'd ask the wife, what's up with the fork? And some people knew his slogan in life was the best is yet to come. And his wife had an opportunity to share the gospel with every person that came through. 
Because as he looked down on the life, a body, a tent that had been destroyed, she said, remember, the best is yet to come. And to keep your fork. Because the best is yet to come. Are you ready to go today? Is there an anticipation of heaven? Is there a determination? Man, I'm ready to go today. God, honestly, Lord, I don't want to be here. I'd rather be in heaven. But until that day comes, may we be found faithful, well-pleasing, motivated, honorable. It's our aim to please Him on this life because we will be judged by what we do on this life, whether they are good and bad. There's an expectation in heaven as well. I'm going to ask if you would to bow your heads all across this room. Heaven could be today. We don't know that. Only the, only the Lord knows that. But he will not be late. And when that day comes, he will take us home to glory. There's two ways you could go. Jesus could come back and take the church home. And if you don't know him, friend, you will be left behind. Or death may come as well. People die every second. Every second of every day, somebody's dying. And when death comes, it's too late. And friend, I challenge you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, don't walk out these doors. I can't promise you another message. And how we know the Holy, how salvation's a Holy Spirit thing and we're not here to persuade or to, to convince. We're here to preach the truth of God's Word. You may not have another opportunity. Friend, I challenge you this morning to come. I challenge you to step out and say, Brother John, I need to be saved. I don't know. If I were to walk out those doors, if I'd go to heaven when I die, we're going to have an invitation. And if you need to give your life to Jesus, if you need to be saved, I'm going to ask if you would to come. Just come down. I'll be down here in the front. I can talk with you. Uh, somebody else can. We'll, we'll work all that out. But we want to give you that opportunity. Lord, we love